News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Well, today on episode 135, we have a fun conversation that I hope you uh, enjoy. It is with somebody who I have followed and respected for quite some time, Pedro Gonzalez, who is a rising commentator, thinker, uh, writer within the the new right, uh, the conservative movement across the nation. Pedro uh, actually has said multiple times that he has a hard time calling himself a conservative just because so many people who use that label um, have still participated in the ushering in of the left's agenda, just kind of tapping the brakes and letting us slide further and further and further left. And that's really what Pedro is known for is somebody who's been pushing the envelope and really asking the questions as to what we should fundamentally change about the way we approach things in our country, culturally, politically, um, policy-wise. And so it was a really enjoyable conversation. I think y'all will learn quite a bit. Uh, Pedro was in North Texas for about 24 hours. And so I was lucky enough to be in the area when he was in the area and we got together. You won't have a video on today's podcast because honestly, I didn't have all my equipment, but I really wanted to make the conversation happen. I wanted to bring it to you. So if you are watching this on YouTube or Facebook, I know a lot of y'all watch this on Facebook, um, you won't get to see it, but you will get to hear it. And I would really encourage you to stay through the conversation because I think you'll learn quite a bit. And I think for anybody who's trying to preserve the society, the the virtuous aspects of society that we think are allowing people to flourish, and then also somebody who wants to advance the ball and stop playing defense uh, against the left who just continues to chip away at um, what is good in our state and nation, then I think you're going to hear um, some critiques of the old and some options for the new. So hopefully you learn something today. I think you will if you're able to listen through this conversation. God bless you and God bless Texas. Well, welcome to episode 135 of the Luke Messia Show. I am joined by somebody who I have grown to respect quite a bit over the last, I would say, year specifically, Pedro Gonzalez. Um, Pedro lives in Ohio. He is here in Texas for a day, right? Are you one day, two days? That yeah, here for a day. Here for a day. And so um, he was gracious enough to... Um, coordinate with me an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation about really what we as, um, let's say, freedom-loving citizens should do at a time like this. And I think Pedro brings a unique perspective. In fact, Pedro, why don't you kind of start before we get into the meat of the discussion today, giving people a little bit of the background on um, what brought you into the fight in the way you're in it today. So I, I have an interesting background in that I have no, I have no background in professional journalism or politics. I was actually just someone who liked reading a lot and liked reading old things. And uh, I grew up in California as your basic run-of-the-mill lib who didn't realize he was a lib because it's just kind of in the air. It's ambient. Mm. Uh, it's the it's the oxygen you breathe and, and the water you drink. But over time, I started reconsidering things. It helped that my friends who were on the left became increasingly vicious towards me whenever I asked questions, you know, innocent questions about the things that we believed. That kind of helped. Uh, it was also the, the, the Trump election that kind of pushed me further along that way. Uh, I owe a lot to 
a few thinkers and a few magazines, James Burnham, Sam Francis, American Greatness, Chronicles Magazine, uh, writing and reading these places and these people really helped me along the way. And I think the reason that people find what I write and what I say interesting is because it's not really right or left or conservative or liberal, at least not in a traditional sense. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things I say, I think, tend to blur the lines or at least confuse people. I'll take either of those. So right now I work for Chronicles, a magazine of American culture, and it has this long history of being exactly the things I just described. It was the ideological flagship of Pat Buchanan in the 90s. It justified nationalism and populism to Americans at a time when I think they weren't quite ready for it. They were ready for it in 2016, though. Mm. Um, So it's kind of cool that it's all come full circle that I'm writing for this magazine that really influenced my thought. And when I was working for American Greatness, a lot of things that I was writing for them were basically the things that I had uh, learned from reading uh, Chronicles and from basically just paying attention to what guys like Pat Buchanan were saying back in the day. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of these ideas are are broadly appealing and they do in many ways go beyond uh, our traditional conceptions of right and left and and all that. But uh, I, like I said, my, my background is unusual and I, I just summarized about a decade of, of things. Uh, a yeah. minute or two. Right. No, and I know that, uh, I mean, you and I have talked about this, but I think you're national profile started taking off when you started appearing more regularly on Tucker Carlson's show. That's right. And um, and one of the things Tucker has done is really used, uh, I think, and he's one of the rare, you know, phenomenons in the media industry is use a media platform to actually advance a certain set of ideas that That's challenge right. what, um, let's say, the oligarchic powers that are currently uh, in place in both parties, really within the political class and the, um, you know, economic class, the media class. Uh, and so he's allowed people like you to come on and give a very different perspective than you'd normally hear really on other Fox news channels. And, um, and so your profile and some of the ideas that you've espoused, um, have kind of taken off from there. What, why were people not ready in the nineties and why were they ready in 2016? I don't have a better answer than that. Maybe this is something uniquely American or it could just be a human thing that basically we, we don't realize what time it is until it's almost too late. Mm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. because Trump didn't run on anything new. A lot of these issues have been exist had been, uh, ongoing for a mm-hmm. long time. You know, uh, Buchanan was railing against them in just the same way that Trump was mm-hmm. years later. But I think there just wasn't a kind of critical mass of Americans who saw, saw things for what, for, Mm. you know, for what they were back then. Uh, by 2016, it's, it's, you know, it's everywhere. And Mm -hmm. I think that's also why you saw these people who, um, who voted, uh, with the democratic party that jumped for Trump because Mm -hmm. he talked about issues like trade and trade deals and, and, and immigration in a way that I think, uh, in a way that resonated broadly, um, he basically he 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 became and I, I increasingly use this term only in a positive sense. Uh, he became a kind of righteous demagogue. You know, he was talking about how Americans are being screwed by the ruling class <laughs> by by 2016. Uh, I guess unlike the 90s, that is just undeniable, right? Mm-hmm. It's just undeniable that Americans are getting screwed. That that middle America is being deliberately destroyed by the policies that Republicans and Democrats have made. And that there is no real 
uh, political vehicle for all this anger and all this discontent until Trump came along, enough Americans were ready, and he presented it as, uh, as one. And I, I think it, when you go back and you also look at Bernie Sanders' campaign, mm. uh, th- there's a lot of similarities in the way that they talked about the ruling class. So it, even the way that they talked about immigration, Bernie Sanders referred to open borders as a Koch brothers policy. Koch brothers are big GOP mm-hmm. donors, as you know. Yes. Um, so I think that it was in the air. You know, it was kind of like uh, just a tinderbox that was waiting to go off by 2016. Now, uh, that I think that's that's the uh, the optimistic yes. way to look at it because obviously the, the story ends very differently than it started. But but there there's my answer to your question. So one of the things that I think you've uh, gained more prominence on, which is really where I found. Um, your message both resonating as a Texan um, who's been involved in state politics and policy and culture battles for the last 14 years um, mm-hmm. was the fact that you were willing to call out Republicans. And and as somebody who lives in a state that has been completely Republican controlled, the problem is when your culture is going to the left in a completely red state, it's not the Democrats' fault. And that's honestly something I think uh, the citizens of a state like Texas have a hard time accepting, right? right. I mean, we, right. we would want to blame, right. oh, well, it's the liberal university professors. Well, those university professors are teaching at a publicly funded university who's completely run by a board of regents appointed by the governor of the state. Or, oh, my kid is getting taught this crazy uh, sex you know, education in fourth grade at the public school that you're funding, hired by teachers that you, you know, brought in by an association. So, and by the way, we gave them pay raises the last two sessions, those people who are indoctrinating our children. So there comes this point in time that I think a lot of people start just realizing, wait a second, you know, most anybody who identifies as a Republican, Republicans like to say they believe in self-government. Well, we need to govern ourselves because our own party, and I've been involved in the Republican Party, but I don't know if Republicans would consider me a Republican. We spend most of our efforts over the last 10 years challenging other Republicans. Yeah. Um, and so from the national level, um, you know, why do you think the elected elites in the Republican Party are uh, – that th- there's such a gap between those elected elites and the average voter – that associates with that same party. Yeah, well, I think that this is an issue of of form. Let's call it. I think the uni, the uniparty is is maybe as silly as that term sounds. It actually is true. Uh, we're talking about two political parties, neither of which truly represent Americans, and the GOP is somehow worse. <laughs> even even though they're even though Democrats do many of the same things, at least Democrats deliver more on policy for their voters. Mm-hmm. I think that's undeniable. Absolutely. Democrats, they're just as corrupt. They're just as bought by all the same institutions, whether it's the defense industry or the banks, whatever. Uh, But they seem to give their people what they want more. And Mm -hmm. Republicans are critical in helping them deliver on those things against the wishes of their constituents. And so I, I think a huge part of it is the fact that at the end of the day, when you strip away the rhetoric and peel back the veil, both political parties are beholden to interest groups that don't care about what happens to you. And again, I think the GOP is worse because Democrats will at least kind of lean into their corruption. You know, they don't make any, uh, they don't hide the fact that the, they're the party of, of big government, uh, you know, of, of basically using power to help their constituents. Republicans will publicly eschew power. They'll say, no, no, no power corrupts. You know, mm. we're, we're the party of limited government. We don't use big government to achieve our political ends, but of course they do that. 
Republicans love using political power to please their donors and their interest groups. They just don't like doing that for you. Mm. Uh, a great example that I keep coming back to because it's just so awesome as something that we could use. Uh, recently, GOP state treasurers across the country threatened to uh, withdraw assets from financial mm -hmm. institutions that threatened to decarbonize their portfolios, basically mm -hmm. acting in the interest of yep. uh, the fossil fuel industry. Yes. Could you imagine if they did that for us, for, oh. for CRT, for gun control, yeah. uh, BlackRock? Uh, uh, Uber and Lyft just gave millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood and then said, oh, by the way, we will cover you if any of our drivers happen to drive someone to get an abortion. Right. And you didn't see any state institution saying, hey, we're going yep. to defund. When when Facebook deplatformed Trump, I remember a bunch of us in Texas here were like, hey, the we literally have some of the biggest pension system. The Texas retired teacher system is one of the biggest pension systems in the nation. Yeah. What would happen if it just said, we're not, we are divesting from Facebook, we're divesting from all of these big tech platforms that are advancing. Every time Amazon cancels some conservative book, yeah. oh, we're divesting from Amazon. But the reality is they wouldn't want to do that. That's no. not how the game is played. That's right. But to your point, they will do it if it's like, hey, these people who have given us a ton of money. And look, I'm, I support the fossil fuel industry. Texas is built on the fossil fuel industry. This is not an anti-Ola gas position to right. say, yeah, we should be doing it for them and we should be doing it for all of these corporations that are advancing completely leftist ideas and are indoctrinating our entire society. That's right. But we're investing in it. Yeah. Yeah. Every bit right. of every bit of our money. Yeah. No, the example that I was about to give was BlackRock. If you remember a while ago, two, three years ago, Dick's Sporting Goods, Kroger, and Walmart chains just overnight pulled guns and ammo off the shelves. Yeah. Why did that happen? Was a law passed? Was there an executive order? What was it? It was BlackRock. They threatened, uh, basically, they, they said, we're going to start divesting from institutions that sell firearms or are involved mm. in any way in the manufacture of firearms. Mm. And so that is why these huge chain stores just yep. disappeared guns. And Gro Kroger had a statement basically saying, we're trying as fast as we can to get the guns and ammo <laughs> off the shelves. That no laws were passed. Yes. It, it was just one, well, it's not one, it's the largest, most corrupt financial institution in the world, mm. BlackRock. Uh, and no one, no one bat an eyelash. The, mm. the, the, the GOP did nothing. Uh, but, but again, they will actually use power. And in, in many ways, I actually respect the Democratic Party for being so ruthless yep. in the exercise of political power. Right now, Greg Abbott uh, is lying about how he's, you know, got the border under control, which is mm -hmm. like, uh, no, that's just, just so absurdly false on his face. <laughs> uh, and, 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 but if you push him hard enough, you know, he'll say, well, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. Uh, Democrats, on the other hand, will flaunt federal immigration laws yes. and create sanctuary jurisdictions. Yes. They don't care. And what do we do? Well, uh, even when Trump was president, while Chad was run, Chad Wolf yeah. was running DHS, mm -hmm. he provided sanctuary uh, jurisdictions, not just cities, sanctuary jurisdictions with uh, discretion, discretional funds that was actually in his power to withhold. Mm -hmm. We just kept giving it to them. Yep. Why don't we play as ruthlessly as, as the, the other side does. Yep. I mean, that is, that is the question that I raise all the time. Uh, I think I, there's a few answers for that, but I mean, that is, that is a big part of my project is making people see uh, you're being lied to by people like Greg Abbott or Christy yep. Noem. Uh, and the GOP in many ways is actually a bigger threat to you and your way of life than the, than the Democratic Party because the Dems get everything they want done precisely because there is no real opposition in this country. You know, it's um, to the point that you made about 
about Greg Abbott, you know, saying the border is secure and, and, and doing all that. Um, it, it really is, t- to your point, absolutely crazy because in the video he posted, here's what I loved. He First of all, he said, oh, we secured the Del Rio sector. And it's, it's literally like words have no meaning. Secure means people who should not enter the country illegally don't. That's what secure means, right? And the average voter out there says that's what secure means. The Texas House of Representatives, they're passing this billion-dollar spending plan on the border. And one of the Democrats gets up and asks the Republican author, who's the chairman of appropriations, hey, what are we going to get out of this money? Now, his point as a Democrat is like, I don't think this is the right way to spend this money. Here's what's so funny, though. The guy... The appropriations chairman, Greg Bonin, does not respond. We actually played this video on our podcast. He didn't respond by saying, well, we're going to build these walls and this so that we can stop illegals, deter them from coming. He literally said, our goal is to concentrate the flow of people into the state so that we can know who's coming in. Now, to your point, do you think that all the voters in Texas who literally feel like they're being invaded are sitting there and going, man, I really wish I was getting invaded in a more orderly fashion. Right. And I knew single file, please. Like, and, and I really wish I could identify them. Like how many, what ages, where they got like, that's, that's what has me up at night. Not the fact that over a million people are going to walk across the yeah. border, yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter. So uh, you pointed out the fact that at the end of the day, they still don't want to actually deliver the results. And I think that's one thing that's really hard for Republicans to accept. Like, there's no way that my Republican governor doesn't want to stop sex change surgeries on little children, right. 1,500 kids in Texas. There's no way he wants an open border. So to your point, why do you think that is the case? Because that's one of the things I told you I wanted to talk about. I think you have the national conversation that you're having. We're having the same conversation here in Texas. Why aren't they? What are a couple of the factors that you think are uh, leading to Republican elected elites who actually don't want to d- deliver results. I think let, let's let's generalize down to three things. Okay. One of them, I think, is agreement. I think that in some cases, Republicans actually do agree with these things or that they find ways to rationalize them. Not a governor, but someone like Adam Kissinger. And I want to make sure, because a lot of our listeners are Republicans. So we're not saying that the average right. Joe That's right. in his house- Elected officials. In Houston, Texas- that guy. You're yeah. talking about the elected elites within yeah. the Republican Party. Yeah. Go I ahead. Think th- I think there are Republicans who just frankly agree with this stuff on, yeah. an, on a level of ideology. Um, Maria Salazar, Trump endorsed. She's a new uh, re- Republican uh, official in Florida. I don't recall the district, but, uh, but she's pro assault weapons ban. Mm-hmm. She wants a carbon tax. Mm-hmm. She accosted Stephen Miller uh, for his immigration views. Mm-hmm. This is a new Republican, yeah. part of the new face of the GOP, right? She And I think she really does actually believe in this stuff. She yep. she accosted Stephen Miller because she does truly believe that he is, as the media has portrayed him, literally Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's I think it's just, there's that. Uh, another yep. aspect is, uh, I think these people are just afraid. Uh, they're afraid of backlash from, not from you, uh, they're not They're not mm-hmm. nearly as afraid of you yep. as they are uh, their donors. Yep. The, the people that give them lots and lots of money and to who they're ultimately beholden. I think they're, they're afraid of, uh, of, of incurring anger from them. And then I think the, the third thing is something like inertia. Uh, this is the consensus. Uh, and and it's, it's kind of like we don't buck the consensus because that's, that's scary or, I, I, you know, uh, it, maybe a good example of this is the kind of default mentality that we have when when something comes up, um, 
And a question is whether or not people actually believe this or if they just use it as, as a way to get out. But uh, so Christy, no, she wouldn't actually prohibit corporate vaccine mandates. And she kind of kept trying to just yeah. divert people's attention to the fact that she said, I'm not going to let the federal government impose vaccine uh, mandates on you. But but obviously that's a sleight of hand because yep. Biden was partnering and is partnering with private companies to spearhead vaccine mandates like they, they have been leading it's actually been corporations that have been leading these mandates, not the federal government, until Biden issued this order, right? Uh, and and what was Noam's excuse? And she might actually believe this. I can't read her mind, but maybe she does. But she said, uh, con- conservatives do not tell businesses what to do. Yeah. We, we are not the party of big government. We yep. do not tell people how to run their businesses. So, you know, if you're working somewhere and they mandate a vaccine, just it, we have a great economy. Uh, yep. Go work somewhere else. Just go work somewhere else and then go work somewhere else and then leave that job and go work somewhere and just keep doing that because, you know, most corporations are actually forcing this. To, uh, yep. So so I think, but let's say that people like Noam really do believe in that mindset. Let's call it free marketism, uh, uh, which again, this might make some of your listeners uncomfortable because it's like we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be the free market people, right? Yep. I think, yeah, to a point. There is a time actually where we should use power to tell businesses, look, you're not going to mandate vaccines on people. And, and I'm going to use my political power to prevent that from happening. And I think that does actually violate uh, the, the- A purely cons- free market principle. Yeah. And the, the, the purely free market principle, which also is, is the, conservative, the contemporary conservative consensus. You know what's interesting, though? I do think that this, this is a good example to me of where the normal voter is way more in tune with how their values are actually applied right. than the politicians. Because yeah. um, I actually had a good friend who's got a huge political email list and uh, sent out a poll to his readers. And these are people who are very, very conservative readers, right? And he yeah. said, where does your stance, private vaccine mandates, public vaccine mandates, whatever, yeah. right? And over 70% of the respondents said they were in support of a ban on private vaccine mandates, right? They wanted the government to ban private corporations from saying, you, our employee, get vaccinated or leave. And I think the point being that the normal guy, and 2016 showed this with Trump because he shows up and he says, oh, well, I'd want to have trade wars with China because they're cheating. Right. And everybody on the stage just thinks, well, free trade is the thing to say. So they kept thinking, well, if we just keep telling the normal voter long enough that this view is not conservative, eventually it'll start hurting him. But they didn't realize that the average guy out there who is very, he desires for his culture that the culture that he values to be conserved. Okay. And then he, and then the leftists that have been gaining ground, he wants to actually advance. So he doesn't want to just conserve what he has. He wants to advance the ball back and uh, in, in a direction that is more virtuous. And so they're sitting there going, I don't care what, like this has nothing to do with your principle that you're saying he's violating. I'm for this. And in the same way, I was really, he told me, um, my friend that he was very surprised. He's like, I honestly thought they were going to be more split on this issue. And this is a, this isn't just a Republican group. This is a very conservative readership saying, oh, absolutely. They cannot do it. I asked a friend of mine, I said, okay, so you think businesses should be able to say you need to abort that child or you're fired. You know, like literally, because what, where are we going to draw the line? And you know what? Some people tell you like, well, free market, 
if that's what they say you're supposed to do. And it's like, no, that's not true. Yeah. We're not. That is not a conservative position, okay? Yeah. To literally say, this is a healthcare procedure. We believe you must have. And if you do not have it, you're not allowed to be employed here anymore. That's so um, yeah. I, do, I thought that, that whole thing was very interesting. In Texas specifically, um, I don't know how much you followed the, uh, the... So the issue that got our show attention, the very first show we ever did was a conversation with a, a gentleman named Jeff, Jeff Younger, who's the father of James Younger, the nine-year-old boy who's being transitioned by his mother mm. without his yep. father's permission. And um, we have two clinics in Texas, the Genesis Clinic in Houston and Dallas, and they are literally blazing the trail. People like to talk about Texas being a leader. I tell people we're a leader in transitioning children sexually, trying to turn little girls into little boys and little boys into little girls. And we're transitioning over a thousand children a year, anywhere from three to 17. And in Texas, it is completely legal for a three-year-old to go to a psychologist and to sit down and be asked a set of 17 questions to be diagnosed at three years old with gender dysphoria. And then they're going to be surrounded by a bunch of adults in the room, a psychologist, probably two very demented parents who are child abusers. And they're going to tell this three-year-old little boy that he is actually a girl. And, uh, and then he's going to eventually just believe that he's a girl because you have little kids. I have little kids. And I could convince my four-year-old daughter of anything. I'm just going to be honest. Like, that girl loves me. And it's because I love and adore her. And if I told her she was a boy enough, she absolutely would believe yeah. that she's a boy. And then they say, well, they, we don't want him to hit puberty. So at eight and nine, they literally block their puberty, which is still legal in Texas. And, um, and then eventually, they're going to permanently mutilate their genitals, right? Yeah. And for young boys, they get mutilated once they get put on these blockers. And I don't know how much you know about this, Petro, but like basically once a nine-year-old boy gets put on a puberty blocker, the problem is if you take them off, they're not going to mature. Girls, if you take them off, they will eventually mature. But you, so the surgery is the permanent part. But for boys, it's permanent at nine or 10 years old. And we yeah. currently have this going on in Texas. And we literally have Republican elected politicians who are scared to death of the issue. Uh, Dan Patrick and the Senate have passed multiple bills to actually ban this practice. Greg Abbott has refused to support them. In the Texas House, we have a leader. Our Speaker of the Texas House, Dade Phelan, was literally praised as one of the most pro-LGBT Republicans in Texas. And he was chosen by his colleagues to be the Speaker of the House. That's where our our, our um, electeds are. At the same time, you have the Republican Party, who's run by the grassroots, who's been chaired by Alan West and now Matt Rinaldi, two very conservative individuals who have literally said, this is one of our number one priorities. We just want to ban this barbaric, sick practice that 95% of Republicans yeah. think should be illegal. 70% of independents think should be illegal. 40% of Democrats think yep. it should be illegal, right? Yep. And this goes to show the hypocrisy. You have an issue because moderates and all the establishment, the elected elites, the, they love to say that, oh, well, y'all are the ones who would cost our party popularity, right? If you want to push these crazy fringe ideas that only this tiny little group of people like, and you go, okay, that might be true on one issue. But what about this issue? Every single Republican believes what I believe. Vast two-thirds, you can't find any issue that Republicans are aligned with these no. independent New York Times reading people on more than sex change surgeries. No. And the own the Democrats, you know what the Democrats want? A lot of them want a secure border, and a lot of them want sex change surgeries gone. And it's the two issues that we can't force Governor Abbott to address, that the Republican legislature won't address, and they'll do a bunch of other things that, to your point, do make certain groups happy. But major cultural problems that we have. So for those Texans and people around the nation that see 
us losing massive amounts of grounds on like things like human biology or even having a nation of laws. Um, what are some things they should be doing right now, in your opinion? Things they should be reading, things they should be preparing for, how they should be thinking, how they should be engaging in the process. Give me your thoughts. Well, I think that the first step is to, the first step on the road to recovery is realizing you have a problem. Mm. And the problem is the GOP. It, it's the, whatever the Democratic Party does, it is because the GOP allows it to happen. Mm. And so I think we need to start viewing the Republican Party as actually at the main threat. It not like set aside the the, uh, the the fear mongering and the fear porn that you see in conservative media about, you know, the, the next wacky thing the Dems are doing or whatever and focus and realize actually your worst enemy is Greg Abbott because he has the power to protect you, mm -hmm. but he won't. And you need to start treating these people uh, as the primary threat to your way of life. And whether that means just uh, calling him incessantly, uh, you know, giving money to people that are trying to primary him. Uh, not just him, but any Republican that's like this. Mm -hmm. I've even supported on on Twitter. I've been saying that people need to go to his house and protest. Like have like I, Greg Abbott should not be able to sleep until the border is secure. Mm. And like the response that some people gave me is like, well, that's what leftists do. Uh, that's why leftists win. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it the leftist congresswoman who uh, pitched a tent on on the. Uh, steps of Congress because she wanted the the ban, you know, she wanted the White House to just carte blanche institute uh, the the ban from um, landlords being able to evict. So it was an eviction ban, mm -hmm. right? So the Supreme Court says, oh, they can't have an eviction ban. And she's like, well, the White House can. And the White House is like, no, we can't. I mean, literally you have Jen, Jen Psaki, Joe Biden going, we can't do it. There's absolutely no way we can do it. And she's like, well, do it anyways. They're like, no, we can't just do it anyways. We can't do it. She's like, well, you can do it. And then for three weeks, people can't get evicted. No. So she goes, fine. So she pitches a tent on Congress. People are coming up. What are you doing? And she goes, I'm doing this because Joe Biden's let these people get kicked out of their homes. And guess what happens? Joe Biden does what he has said is con unconstitutional. Think of this. Yeah. Okay. We might have things we think Joe Biden has done that are unconstitutional, that he thinks are fine. Joe Biden did something that he thought was unconstitutional. <laughs> He literally was like, yeah. I can't, I do not have the authority to do this. Yeah. This is the guy who thinks he has endless authorities. Like there's yeah. this one thing that's a bridge too far. And one crazy Congresswoman who believed in what she believed. Yeah. She went and laid on that Capitol steps, pitched a tent and said, I'm here until Joe Biden does what he says is unconstitutional. And he did it. Yep. And that is somebody who's dedicated to the ideas that they hold yeah. at a different level. Okay. So I'm just saying that to, I mean, to your point of what does it take? Yeah. To address these issues. And it is harder for us. That's true. The, the, the existing institutions like law enforcement, for example, they're not on our side. The mm. stakes are higher for someone like you to protest yep. for what you want than it is for someone like her. Yes. But we still have to do it. Uh, we, we have to, I mean, the, the civil rights activists of yore, this is what they did. They risked life and limb to, to, uh, you know, engage in civil disobedience and, and to protest. And I think we have, that's, I think that is actually the point that we are at now, uh, to your point. If, if people can mandate vaccines, what can't they mandate? Yeah. Um, if, and, and again, if, if our leaders won't do things as simple as, you know, securing the border or prohibiting the, the castration of children, uh, if they won't do those things when you ask them nicely, you're, you're like, you know, you yes. see what I'm getting at. Like yep. you, you have to stop asking nicely and yes. you have to start making them. I mean, I, I said this on a, on an episode of Tug Carlson show, which is that the GOP, is that is it's not a it's not an ally it's an instrument it, it's an instrument to be willed 
And that the only way that this changes is when Republican, the current Republican elected officials mm-hmm. start to feel afraid of their voters in the okay. same way the Democrats do. Uh, I think that it's true that Democrats can kind of sense how how radical mm. some of the, some of their uh, some of their electorate is. Yeah, I think that's what the GOP needs to sense with us too, uh, and that we're not falling for it. Yep, anyone right of center in the country needs to be incredibly comfortable with making anyone elected that you see as on your side incredibly uncomfortable. Yes, you know that's yes. Just, yes. it's like you have to understand whoever you think is your ally. Okay. And all of us might have different definitions. Well, I only think these 10 guys are like me. Well, I think the whole party, I'm a partisan guy. Good. Whoever you think is your ally, you need to be ready to make them uncomfortable because that's the only thing that's going to deliver results for you. Yeah. And the the natural environment that is created within these systems of power are designed to not deliver results yep. for any of y'all. When the Republicans had control, with a Republican president and a Republican Congress who ran on one thing, securing the border and building a wall, his own Congress wouldn't fund the wall. That's right. Obama gets elected, has Obamacare that they all know is incredibly unpopular. I mean, like they're polling it themselves, looking at it going, if I vote for this, I'm not going to get reelected. And they pass it anyways. Why? Because they had an objective and they actually knew how to get there. And so you look at these two Congresses, both Obama and Trump given two years of their party in control. What and Trump was not able to accomplish it because the Republicans in power are going, we don't we don't want to build a wall. This goes back to your point of the first point you made, one of three things, right? Agreement. I don't think Republicans can accept the fact that there are a lot of elected officials in the Republican Party that don't actually want a border yes. that is secure, that people cannot illegally cross. Yes. They absolutely don't want that. Right. I mean, because all these people are, to people like presumably Greg Abbott, uh, they're just consumers. Mm. These are all, these people crossing the border. They're future uh, shoppers. They're people that are going to hit up the mall and they're going to contribute to the GDP, which is which is all the existing GOP really cares about, mm-hmm. is the GDP, whether yep. that line goes up or down. Mm. So why not, you know, uh, lie to people about the border being secure? Why not? resettle tons of refugees mm-hmm. in which is also what texas is doing yep you know super right-wing oh. greg abbott is is not just like you said allowing the border to to mm-hmm. basically be open and vulnerable but he's also resettling i think the second most number of uh, afghan, afghan re- behind california yeah it's crazy yep. it's absolutely crazy and to think if you're somebody who's trying to again preserve what you have here in Texas and actually advance the ball. Because if anything, everyone will admit, oh, Texas is lurching further and further left. Okay. Um, Well, if you were trying to stop that lurch and then move it back in the right direction, why would you possibly say, I want to bring in as many people as possible from all over the world with completely different worldviews into this country um, and into this state specifically? No, it's, it's a major problem. And I, I don't think conservatives, uh, anybody right of center is willing to wake up to that fact. Yeah, I think more and more and more people are. Um, I think that was actually one of the points that even going back to Trump's trade policy, everybody going, well, if you do this, the prices are going to rise. And they do the same thing with immigration. Well, if you stop immigration, people's wages are going to go up more expensive for businesses. And you go, I don't think you realize where our people are. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. they're fine with yeah, that. That's right. They're, they're yeah. not offended. If you go, well, yeah. Your burger might cost more because more citizens are yeah. going to get hired. 
It's like, oh, okay, okay. that's I'll, fine. I'll pay an well, extra dollar. It'll cost yeah. more to mow your lawn. That's <laughs> fine too. Your roof might be more expensive. Look, let's get to that point where that's a problem. Yeah. I would love to be like, roofing's gone up. Yeah. My lot is more expensive. And yeah, the burger costs more because evidently people who are working in the fast food industry are getting paid more. Great. Right. Love to have that problem. Okay. Yeah. And then you can try to convince us to say, hey, we think we should immigrate X amount of people and we can have that whole discussion, but we're not even there. So um, Pedro, thank you for coming to Texas. I know tonight you're going to the True Texas Project up, up here in North Texas and um, fantastic people. I'm glad they reached out to you. I'm glad they brought you in. Um, you know, it's also exciting to see local grassroots organizations also seeing people like you and trying to team up as well, because there has to be communication. I think your speech there is going to be phenomenal and um, we'll try to link people to it when we publish this show. I think they're going to record it so we can at least link people to that. I know you'll have a lot of good stuff to say there. Um, Thank you for what you're doing. We need your voice and other voices like you to continue to um, really push the Overton window further and further and further um, in a conversation that has drifted so far beyond the pale um, that what is considered radical today was, you know, middle of the road Republican belief systems 10 years ago. And um, people don't realize the ground we've lost. So that's why I'm grateful that you're here. That's why I'm grateful for what you're saying. If there's one last thing you wanted to leave our listeners with, what would it be? Uh, Stop. Divest from the establishment conservative movement. So if you give money to AI or heritage or anything like that, stop doing that. Stop giving money to big name people like Dan Crenshaw and Greg Abbott and give it to people that present you with alternatives. Give it to grassroots organizations. Stop reading national review. Uh, that's the easiest thing you can do is, is to just stop giving these people and these organizations and these entities that have failed you and will continue to fail you. Stop giving them your time attention and money and start putting it in places that actually can make a change and align with your values. Where can people read more about what you're putting out? Uh, so I've got a Twitter, uh, which is, kind of, it, I use it for, for work, but also it, it, I, uh, I do a lot of uh, satirizing on there, but you can follow me at uh, E-M-E-R-I-T-I-C-U-S, Emeriticus. Uh, and then I've got the bulk of, of my writing now is at chroniclesmagazine.org. And I've got my own newsletter at contra.substack.com. Thank you for coming, Petra. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messiah Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.